Hello and welcome to The Bottom Line. This podcast examines the everyday business and finance issues faced by closely held and private businesses. We hope to provide you with news you can use and what we like to think of as a jargon-free zone. I'm your host, Tim Schuster, Senior Manager in Private Business Services, and with us today is Lisa Stewart, Partner in Charge of Center for Individual and Organization Performance, and Alan Wink, Managing Director of Capital Markets. This is part of a series of podcasts on selling a business, and this topic is all about due diligence, which I'm sure is everyone's favorite, favorite, favorite subject. Um, Lisa, Alan, great for you to be here. Thanks, Tim. It's really nice to see you. Tim, good to see you again. Good to see you guys, too. So let's let's just dive right into it. Can you explain what due diligence is? You know, it's probably the part of the transaction that sellers have the most difficult time with because it's the time, you know, now that, you know, an LOI has been signed, you know what the broad terms of the deal are going to be. Now the buyer has the opportunity and responsibility to verify that all the information that was presented to them about the company, you know, financial information, legal information, operational information is true. You know, most most deals are priced at a multiple of EBITDA, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. And so if the EBITDA in a deal is, let's just say, $10 million and it's priced at you know, seven times that it's a, you know, it's a $70 million deal, you know, when you go through due diligence and the buyer finds a number of things that were misrepresented by the seller or issues with their financial performance and their adjustments to EBITDA, that automatically, you know, usually results in a adjustment to the purchase price. So, you know, if it's a seven X multiple, every dollar of, you know, change results in a seven dollar reduction you know reduction in the purchase price so you know buyer sellers have this obligation to ensure that the do the the data room and most data rooms now are virtual and online are populated with a bunch of information and it takes quite a long time to populate that data room with your historical financial results contracts etc and you know most buyers will hire an accounting firm to do a due diligence review, a quality of earnings review to make sure that you know the the revenues and the earnings are sustainable going forward. And that's a, a long process. So when you think about, you know, the 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 sale process, you know, buyer and seller sign a letter of intent, which is a non-binding document. The buyer embarks upon you know, 60 to 90 days of due diligence, usually a period of time where they have a level of exclusivity. And at the same time, they're negotiating the definitive agreements. And then you have these discussions around the findings of due diligence and what impact that might have on the, the eventual purchase price. But due diligence is a long, arduous process for, for any seller. Yeah, you know, I, I was meeting not too long ago with um, a little investment firm that was looking to acquire a manufacturer, and uh, they told me that they, they're stepping away from the deal. They're not going to do it. And when I asked them questions why, the gentleman said, you know, I had a bad feeling. I just had a bad feeling about the seller because 
it felt like he wasn't always telling the straight story. Like he was just trying to fudge along the edges that, you know, it felt like he was kind of making some stuff up and he was trying to make a really big deal of these potential contracts and so on. So I think what's really important there is that, you know, the due diligence process is an opportunity to build trust. And you want to buy businesses, you want to invest in businesses where that trust is really high. So I think one of the most important factors is don't give your potential buyer anything to feel uncomfortable about in this process. Don't erode trust by, you know, just fudging the data. Be honest, be thorough, be transparent, be thoughtful about this. People want to do business with people that they can respect, that they believe have integrity, and that they can trust. And that's really got to be the foundation of the entire due diligence process. By the same token, I've known sellers that have walked away from the deal because they felt like they couldn't trust the potential buyer. So, um, you know, our interpersonal characteristics, I think, are just as important as our financial documented materials. It's a, and it's got to be a two-way street. Trust is transactional. Both parties have to trust each other. And Tim, I would just add to that because I, I always advise our clients that, you know, due diligence is a two-way two -way street. And as much due diligence as a buyer does on a seller, a seller should be doing similar due diligence on a buyer. And, you know, and, and part of that due diligence from a seller's perspective is making sure the buyer has, finan has the financial wherewithal to do the deal. Where's the money coming from? I'm, in, I'm involved in a transaction right now where we spent a lot of time negotiating the LOI. And in this particular instance, the seller would not give the buyer exclusivity during the due diligence process unless, this, unless the buyer was able to show specifically where the capital was going to come from to complete the transaction. And so, you know, we had to get term sheets from lenders and we had to show them, you know, the balance sheet of the buyer and showing them, you know, the, the working capital and liquidity was there to do a deal. And so it's really important to do due diligence on both sides. I would agree with that, too. And just one other thing, Alan, because I know that we, you and I have talked a lot about the importance of surrounding yourself with good advisors. We have to be able to trust those advisors too on both sides of the table, right? And so I think sometimes what happens is that, you know, you'll bring an advisor in, maybe you don't know that person that well, and they start to be a little less transparent or they seem just a little bit shady. So everybody has to be working together to build that trust, right? Make sure that the advisors who are representing you maintain the same level of integrity that you would maintain in that deal, right? Um, and you'll be looking at the advisors on the other side of the table and looking for that as, as well. So it's, um, I think all of these elements are just really key to making this successful. Lisa, I'm glad you said that because was, that was going to be my actual next question, which you eloquently uh, answered already, <laughs> which is perfect because it is important to have the right team there, right? Just in place. And that's something that I think a lot of people sometimes don't consider because you really want to make sure you have the correct representation there for your matters, right? Um, so like, now let's say hypothetically your team's in place, everything's good to go. Due diligence is going on and it seems to be going swimmingly. What is actually the next step in the process after due diligence um, for a business owner to consider? 
Well, well usually, Tim, um, while due diligence is going on, either the buy side or the sell side, law- the lawyer representing the company will begin the process of drafting the definitive agreement and all the reps and warranties that the sellers are going to be responsible for. So as due diligence is finishing up, you know, hopefully uh, the uh, the definitive agreement will also be reviewed by both sides and be ready to, to be signed. And then, you know, there's the other is probably the last issue is one of the, the working capital adjustment. You know, how much working capital does the seller have to leave in the business for the buyer? And, you know, that's usually something that that's resolved by closing. There's usually a, you know, a post-closing adjustment, you know, either up or down in terms of what the final balance sheets look like. But, you know, usually the seller is going to try to take take as much cash off the balance sheet as they possibly can. You know, the seller like, you know, more cash, more working capital remain in the business. So there's got to be a meeting in the minds in terms of what is the appropriate amount of working capital that should remain with the buyer after the deal closes. I think that also speaks, Alan, to the fact that uh, you're going to be leaving a company behind and often it's going to be that management team that you built and they're going to have some concerns about, are you leaving a stable company? Who's going to be taking this over and so on? I know that some of the key questions that we get as companies start to move more through these formal, the, the due diligence procedures is, who in the business should we tell? A lot of times you've got your CFO who's going to be involved in the transaction. You might have, you know, somebody on operations who could be involved and uh, you're trying to manage those, those sorts of relationships. So as you're doing this and, and working your way through the transaction, trying to make sure that those people are kept informed to the level in which you can inform them let them know what this is going to look like. I know that they're going to be wondering about is the capital being left in the company enough to be able to make sure that my job is going to be secure for the future and and so on. And then later on, as you begin to hopefully put a bow around this transaction, you're going to also need to think about your communication plan. Um, how are you going to roll this out? How are you going to put together a plan that's going to cover the your customers? Uh, you know, any other stakeholders and of course, all of your employees. So there's kind of a dual process that's going on as you're as you're starting to consider this, because once that transaction hits, you don't have the luxury of time to be able to get all this stuff put together. You've got to be thinking about this as as it's really starting to all, you know, uh, fold together. And, and as Lisa actually said, you know, the, the pro- you, want, you have to determine who are the key people in your organization. And those people are probably going to be very important both during due diligence and in any, and, and in any transition. And a lot of business owners will try to negotiate into the deal, you know, contracts for their key employees. You know, certain business owners will offer, you know, if they know that their employees will not be offered positions after the deal closes, they might offer those people stay bonuses to stay until the end of a transaction because they're so critical. And they'll get a nice, you know, chunk of money if they do stay. So there's a lot of, th- you know, dealing with your key employees is very important. It's not there's not just one single solution. There's a couple of possible solutions, but people become very important in these deals in terms of getting them done and and moving it on to a, a new entity. Absolutely. And listen, Lisa, Alan, can't thank you enough again for being on the Bottom Line series and sharing this valuable information to our listeners. 
And thank you for listening to The Bottom Line, part of the Eisner Amper podcast series. Visit EisnerAmper.com for more information on this and a host of other topics. And join us for our next podcast where we will cover how much you get to keep after a sale.